Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. Relevant content warnings can be found in each episode's description. Welcome back to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Hey, y'all. All right, so what are we talking about on the podcast this week? I mean, we got we got to talk about Texas, y'all. Oh, we do have to talk about Texas. We're so rarely timely. I know, but we're be, we'll actually be pretty timely this time. We will be. So, I mean, I know what you mean when you say we got to talk about Texas, but what do we got to talk about with Texas right now? Texas is like really going hard at just hating all people with uteruses. They're really taking it to a new level. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who are not in the U.S. or not in the know, or maybe this you're listening to this a long time later, we're recording this right- Or maybe you're taking a news break. Good on you. Do that. The news is absolutely horrendous. Valid. This episode is going to be about it, though, so- Yeah, so that's going to be something- I mean, we'll put some content warnings in for this one. Yeah. But what we're talking about is the recent law that was passed in Texas that aims to curtail- people's rights to get abortions yeah i don't know the exact name like the letters and numbers but it's called the heartbeat law is like its colloquial name gross what i said gross (laughs) yeah because it aims or well it didn't aim to it outlawed abortions after feel cardiac activity is detected i will not be calling it a heartbeat because there will not have been a heart to be beating but there are cardiac cells which are pulsing in time with one another. So there's fetal cardiac activity detected, Mm. which usually happens around five to six weeks after conception, um, which is very notably much, much before most people know that they're pregnant. Right. So it's effectively banning abortions. And it even, but the thing about it that went beyond that was like really astonishing was Private citizens can sue anybody who is helping somebody get an abortion. Right. And because it's private citizens... It makes it complicated to sue. Like No, like, it makes it complicated to strike down. That's why the right. Supreme Court didn't strike it down. Because the Supreme Court was like, we can only block people from doing things. And the government, like the Texas government, isn't doing anything mm-hmm. because it's private citizens that have to sue i mean really what happened is they found a legal loophole and they're exploiting it and like it's turning neighbors into vigilantes you can get paid 10k for suing somebody who may or may not have helped um somebody get an abortion which like i feel like the whole law is really heinous and horrible obviously but there's something to me also about literally putting a bounty on people to go out and find people that like that's just it no it should be noted because like the supporters of it really want this to be known so we should we're trying to be 
give all the information, the person who has an abortion is basically the only person that can't be sued. Medical providers can be sued. Fucking, like, Uber drivers driving somebody to an abortion can be sued. Counselors giving information about abortions can be sued. The person who actually has the abortion is protected. It's it's like one single silver thread. <laughs> and it's not even really because then how are they going to, how, how would they get an abortion? Yeah. So it's a very bullshit and complicated law. Neither of us are legal scholars, but yeah. it doesn't, you don't really have to be a legal scholar to see. It's bad. There's problems. So what specifically are we focusing on this week? Well, we got to talk about the gender angle on it, you know? Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Would you like to tell the people about your mistake? My transgression. Your transgression. <laughs> so Elle and I were talking about this because, I mean, it's on the podcast that we listen to together. It's in the news. It's extremely relevant. Yeah. It's um, all over my TikTok. And so while we were talking about this new law... I several times referred to the people most affected by the law, i.e. those who cannot access abortions, Mm -hmm. as women. Mm -hmm. And only once did I self-correct to people with uteruses or people who might want an abortion. Or AFAB people. Or or AFAB people. Even cis women, I guess you could, could, if you want. Whatever. We'll get into it. Yes, go on. So that was my transgression. That was my mistake. Um, But what... What kind of spurred this podcast episode was Elle then later listened to a podcast on their own. Yeah. And heard this law referred to in gender neutral terms. Because I, I think that that is something that also, to my knowledge, and it doesn't stick out as much to me, mm. but I think that some of the other podcasts we listened to weren't being particularly gender neutral. Oh, no. They're super duper not. And even the podcast that I did listen to, which we can link below if you... I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a decent likelihood that maybe all the obsessive gendering of this issue leads you to not want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I can drop... It was an NPR podcast, but even it, the the main anchors, the NPR people, used gender-neutral language, but when they had people that they interviewed, didn't. Like, mm. it's not standard. And I think that's why when you did it, when you, when you re- used gendered language... I didn't, like, stop you immediately because I'm just, like, so used to it. Like, yeah, like, I get over it, whatever. That's just what we call it. I know it's not right, but, like, we just, we talk about abortions as, abortion as a women's right. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how, that's, that's, that's what we do. (laughs) In the common, like, understanding of abortion, that's what abortions are. They are a woman's right. Like, I, growing up, was very much taught that it was not my decision Mm -hmm. because I don't have a uterus. And that remains to be true, despite the fact that I am a woman. Right. So So I think that's the thing, but I'm like so used to like brushing it off, but listening to something that had gender neutral language, I was like, this is so much better. This feels so much better. And I mean, I just like, it might not be the most common experience, but I'm sure I can only imagine that if there was somebody who both didn't identify as a woman and maybe had dysphoria around their reproductive Mm -hmm. system and was unexpectedly and unintentionally pregnant, that would be another like really high need situation for an abortion. We always talk about rape and incest. I know that's, those are always the like go to high need situations when like the person in question like needs an Mm -hmm. abortion. And we also sometimes go to like when the when the birthing parent's life is in danger, right? Those are mm-hmm. the options that we usually give. 
But I can only imagine, like, I've personally never experienced any amount of dysphoria around my reproductive organs. But I know that's, like, a pretty common thing for mm-hmm. non-binary people. So I can only imagine, like, an unwanted pregnancy would be, like, I mean, next level. Especially an unwanted pregnancy where you, lit- like, legitimately didn't think it was possible. Because yeah, because remember- people on T think that T is a... Also, here's a PSA. You can still get pregnant when you're on T. Mm-hmm. So, like... Even if your cycle has appeared to stop. Yes. You can still get pregnant on You can tea. still get pregnant. Is it less common? Obviously. Yeah. But, like, you can still get pregnant, so make sure you're also taking your birth control from... Or using other forms of or birth control. Or using another form of contraceptive, and make sure if you are taking birth control in tea, I imagine you'll want to be talking to somebody about that, because it's all hormones. So, like, mm-hmm. talk to somebody who has more medical knowledge than us, but what we can tell you is that tea does not prevent pregnancies. So I can only imagine, like, what if there's, like, some, like, young baby young baby gender expansive AFAB person who thinks that their tea is preventing them from getting pregnant and then they're pregnant in Texas and that would Mm -hmm. be like and then also they're like stuck into this like massive battle where again everybody's calling them a woman right and I mean like that could be somebody who is non-binary AFAB that could also be a trans man who is gay who identifies as gay 1000% and just doesn't necessarily either does realize it and you know things happen or didn't and then they're in this situation and everybody around them is calling them a woman and like and so i do think that like this the we're talking about this in in the terms of the current situation in texas but i think it's a larger issue right Mm -hmm. the larger issue this ties into is the fact that like maternal see it's it's so deeply ingrained but like pregnancy care Mm -hmm needs some degendering. And I think that the thing is like people get mad mothers, women I've seen on the internet get mad um because they're like but I am like a mother. Like that's like a lot of mothers mm. ha- hold that as like one of their most important self identities, right. right? Um and they don't want that to be erased. And I'm like 1000%. We shouldn't erase mother as a word right (laughs) like i think some people think that when we start talking about like birthing parent it's as though we're never going to call somebody a mother again it's like no no like there's all sorts of language that doctors use that is medicalized yeah this would just be another example of it so if you went in and you were pregnant and the doctor looked at like you and your partner or you and your friend or whoever you're with and was like so who is the birthing parent? And you could be like, whoa, I don't know who the fuck the birthing parent is, but I am the mother. And then your doctor could be like, lit. Great. Right. Like, 10 it, out of 10. <laughs> it doesn't have to be prescriptive. It can be, but it can just be the default term that we use. We're talking about things like legislation or yeah. we're talking about things like medical situations. Yeah. Where like that can be very important. And I think that also like, obviously the abortion debate is contentious right like Mm -hmm. it's emotional and i think it's meant to be contentious most people do not think that abortions are murder most people do not think that you should be able to get abortions as easily as you can get a pack of gum most people Mm -hmm. fall somewhere in the middle right almost all people like Mm -hmm. people like people might have signs that say abortion is murder but nobody actually wants to treat abortions the way that we treat murderers nobody thinks that you're actually nobody thinks that we should treat abortions or not nobody but very very few people think we should treat abortions the same way that we would treat a parent who actually like killed their baby right those are not like those are not emotionally the same thing and yet we're like part of this debate where you either think that abortions again should be like as easy as like a pack of gum 
or you think that mm-hmm. abortion shouldn't happen at all. Those are the two binary d- options. And I think that this use of like mother and woman and like a woman's right to choose and like it's her body plays into that. Right. Like we're talking about a medical procedure. That's what always astonishes me about the abortion mm-hmm. conversation. Is I'm like, we are we're talking about a medical procedure. A medical procedure. Like nobody's out here having this discussion about literally any other medical procedure. And I think we lose sight of that fact because we don't mm-hmm. use any medicalized language. Right. Well, you mentioned literally when you said that to me earlier today, we don't even have this level of discussion around gender affirming surgeries. No, exactly. Like we do not have this level of discussion around any other medical procedure. Right. It is just abortions. And I think mm-hmm. it really is. People lose sight of the fact that like what we're talking about is a medical procedure. It's going to be right for some people and not right for other people. Right. And there is not going to be a timeline on that. Yeah. And I mean, that brings us back to the kind of like basic pro-choice argument of like, if you don't want abortions, just don't get them. Which like is true in I my mean, opinion. Objectively true. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like it really isn't gonna be right for everybody. And it yeah. really is going to be right for some other people. It's situational, like mm-hmm. most medical procedures. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I think I just really want to really quick want to do a little disclaimer on the plug I made about gender affirming care, because that's not to say that they don't that people don't try to outlaw gender affirming oh, care. Yeah, that happens. But there is there is more nuance to that conversation about like, when should it be available? Who should it be available to like what procedures? And like you said, like, this is a very complicated medical procedure. I mean, the procedures themselves aren't always complicated but, but they it, can be but they can be and it is a very complicated emotional decision a very complicated medical decision and it there's no cut and dry answer you can't say six weeks cut off i mean for a lot of reasons but like but i mean i also with like with with gender affirming care the conversation at least acknowledges the medical sometimes it demonizes the medical but like mm-hmm. this is not to be like ooh gender affirming care is easier than abortion no that's not that's what we're saying i'm just it's just a comparison to show that like the abortion conversation is so sensationalized Mm -hmm. and so like removed from the actual thing that we're talking about and to that point a lot of the world like a lot of the i mean at least the u.s political world revolves around the very polarized binary view that politicians have on abortion access like it's an issue that some people vote solely upon. But I think that's because it's so sensationalized. Yeah. Like, it's been used to draw the lines, mm-hmm. you know? Even though it's it's not a very cut and dry thing. Like I said, most people do not think that having an abortion is the same as murdering an actual child. And most people don't think that you should be able to, like, walk into a CVS and get an abortion. Even though, and people don't always know this, but you... You can have an abortion by taking pills and going home. Like, there are pills you can mm-hmm. get. I mean, it's like morning after. Well, no, because that's, that's actually technically contraceptive. It te- it technically is, I think, supposed to stop the... Implantation? Yeah. Mm. So it doesn't actually, like... I mean, when does conception happen is the question we always come back to. But no, like, you... If you're early enough term, it's called a chemical abortion. And sometimes, depending on how early term you are, they'll keep you in the hospital. But, like, you just take pills. Like, there's no surgery. There's no anything. You just have to take pills and you have what amounts to a very, very bad period. <laughs> and, like, I don't think anybody's arguing that you should be able to go get those 
over the counter at CVS. Like, I don't think anybody thinks that, no matter mm-hmm. how much it's like her right to choose. I don't think anybody thinks that. Right. I mean, like, these things should be monitored by medical professionals because it is a medical procedure. Right. And, like, it's a big one. And, like, I think also sometimes in these conversations, it comes up that, like, certain, some people have had multiple abortions over and over. That's usually not by choice. Like, that's not, that's not anybody's first choice. Nobody wants that to be, nobody Mm -hmm. wants that. (laughs) Nobody wants it to be like, well, you could just like (laughs) do whatever the fuck you want because you can get an abortion because like, no, no, that's not anybody's argument on this. But it's been used because it's been, I don't know, taken out of context. And I think putting really heavy gendering on it helps take it out of context. I think it's my Mm -hmm. point. Right. Okay. So speak more on that, I think, because I think that that is what what we're talking about right now is not just the the broad abortion argument in America. That is. Yeah, we're not trying to get into that nitpickiness. But specifically, how does the hyper gendering of the abortion argument affect how it is thought of in the U.S.? Well, I think that the hyper gender and and it's not just hyper gendering because it's hyper gendering, but it's hyper it's like a specific type of gendering, right? It's mothering, which is a mm. specific subset of the gender of woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it makes it very emotional because it's like when we think of a birthing parent, mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of emotions because we don't have a lot of context. Some of us who are not women and might want to be a birthing parent might feel some joy around the term birthing parent because, ah, somebody's using it. It's fine. <laughs> but like, neutral, like. <laughs> yeah. But like by and large, there's not a lot of, emotion around the term birthing parent because there's not a lot of context or information it's just like okay Mm -hmm. that's a relatively neutral like it doesn't give me any information Mm -hmm. um at least ideally again it does give you some information because we only refer to non-women as birthing parents but whatever at least ideally it's kind of removed it's kind of medicalized right and then when you go to woman Woman has context and emotions attached to it. We have to, like, protect our women. That's, like, a societal norm, right? Mm -hmm. Women are delicate and need to be taken care of. So now we're bringing more emotion to it. Right. And then when we bring mothers into it, that brings tons. There's so many emotions that come up at that point. You can think of your own mother. You can think of yourself as a mother if that's an identity you hold. You can think of the fact that, like, our mothers are the backbone of our nation, so we have to protect them. They've served us, so we have to... Like, there's so much at that point mm-hmm. and we have to and then you start adding other words like murderer <laughs> and you start like and like baby and like i don't know the first time i heard the term pre-born was during this current texas argument which i assume is a replacement for unborn because unborn is like a permanent state of being pre-born implies that you will one day be born correct which is gross <laughs> but again like there's these very specific word choices that just pull at heartstrings and Mm -hmm. this isn't even to go into the stuff that's just like blatant fear mongering where like you know there's like those scary scary pictures of like little tiny babies as though that's what they pull out of people who are getting abortions which it's not (laughs) 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 in case in case anybody needs a basic education on that one it's not um uh, prescribing to that you know 1700s conception of what a child looked like but the reason i don't want to go into that is because i think that this what i want to say is this is happening on both sides because then on the other side we Mm -hmm. have like it's a woman's right to choose like it's her body it's all this like um it's invoking me to movement emotions very empowering very empowering it's empowering but it's empowering by reminding of disempowerment does that Mm, make sense i I think so it's bringing up emotions of 
you have misogyny. <laughs> you have to right. fight against the misogyny. You have to fight against misogyny. You are being controlled right. or you will be controlled unless we blank. Which is like, I think a bit harder for us to pick apart because like, I mean, I don't think we should have to state this, but that's the side of this argument we land on. If we have to pick a side, both of us are definitely on the pro-choice mm-hmm. side, right? Absolutely. But I think that the pro-choice side has also done some of that, some of that pulling at the heartstrings. They also don't choose to be like... I've never heard the argument from pro-choice that birthing parents should have the right to discuss with their doctors what they should do for their medical procedures. Like, that's just... That's not a that's not right. a sensational enough take for this argument and like again we're on the Mm pro-choice side so i am gonna blame the pro-life side on this but like because the pro-life side went so like nuclear with their heartstring pulling Mm -hmm. like the only way to fight that is with some level of like right matching that energy right but then what that kind of ends up doing is it i mean i use the word hypergender before i'm gonna use it again real quick hypergender is the issue and makes it seem like it is a women's issue when like this is an issue that does not affect me right i don't have a uterus i mean it affects me in like the broad societal terms and like if you got pregnant then there are things we have to consider but like i don't have the same kind of dog in this fight as you who are not a woman right have right yeah and i think that also part of the hyper gendering is like uh, somewhere along the line feminization and womanhood became at odds with descriptions of the female reproductive system. Does that make sense? I need you to run that one by me one more time. Okay. You know how like women also aren't allowed or see, here we go. You know how people um, with uteruses also are like, aren't allowed to talk about their vaginas ever. It's not acceptable. Yes. Via socialization. Mm -hmm. I feel like something similar happens once we've had all these conversations about like women and her right to choose and blah, blah, blah. How often do you hear the word uterus in abortion conversations? That's fair. Because Even though that's what we're talking about. It's it's so emotionalized and sensationalized that it has become this thing where like you can't refer to it via the medical terminology because then you're like not doing enough. Right. And I'm like, but that's what we're talking about, though, is yeah. uteruses, people with them. People like, with uteruses. And somehow that just like gets lost. And I'm, I'm frustrated by it. Because like, again, to your point, like, this is literally only a issue for people with uteruses and that can include women i there is somebody in my life who is a woman who had to have a hysterectomy for medical concerns she has less of a dog in the fight about abortions Mm -hmm. you know right yeah i just i don't think that the main source of hypersensationalization is the gendering that's not what i'm trying to say but i just think that they are linked and -hmm. i don't think it's ever acknowledged how like painful this can be for people who aren't women but do have uteruses mm-hmm. because like they are then caught up in this horrible horrible system right and completely erased from the experience right right that is an extremely good point and i think something that like especially leftists mm-hmm. and democrats and liberals like we really should bear in mind is like we try so hard mm-hmm. to talk about queer rights and we're apparently the pro-choice party Mm -hmm. and some people to the point of the npr podcast that you listened to earlier yeah they got it they got that right like they were doing their best to use gender neutral language for it but like this is not necessarily a women's rights issue quote unquote it's a rights issue for people who have certain organs yep 
that need access to specific medical procedures. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of emotions caught up in that, partially from the hypersensationalization. That was, I think I put too many syllables in that word. <laughs> but also just in that, like, this is a complicated topic. Like you said, mm-hmm. that most people, according to, like, polling data, end up somewhere kind of more in the middle of, like, don't think you should just get abortion meds over the counter, but also certainly should have some access to them. And like, yeah. it's a nuanced conversation that this country has not allowed itself to have ever. Because I just, ugh, people have much more complicated feelings on this. Everybody, yeah, that one person that you're thinking of, no, they have more complicated feelings on this too. Everybody has much more complicated feelings on this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, go ask any person protesting outside of Planned Parenthood what she would want her daughter to do if she was raped go ask any person that's protesting it's her right to choose what her thoughts are if people wanted abortions because their baby may or may not have a disability and they found that out Mm -hmm. okay yeah we all have complicated feelings on this Mm -hmm. like everybody has complicated feelings on it yeah and the fact that we've boiled it down to a binary is so bonkers it just makes it worse because then it erases people who have like so so we mentioned early on this idea that there could be people who think that they can't get pregnant because they're on T, as mm-hmm. an example. Yeah. And then they get pregnant, and that could be, like, legitimately traumatic for them. Yeah. Not to mention if they have to carry that baby for nine months. And then have a baby. <laughs> and then have a baby. When people talk about the extenuating circumstances that might be exceptions to any sweeping law, mm-hmm. generally it is rape and incest. Yep. But, like, if we don't talk about the fact that non-women can have unwanted pregnancies and may require abortions Mm -hmm. we don't catch that very real potential group of people who like could be in a life-altering situation that they might not have a way out of and that's horrifying like yeah especially in this like i also think there are probably more people who are potentially in that situation because the medical system that you have to go through while you're pregnant and then while you have a newborn is so hypergendered. Yeah. Like I'm guessing, I would just take a wild bet that there would be less dysphoria around reproductive organs, specifically uteruses, if the consequences of uteruses wasn't so fucking pink. <laughs> you know, it's like so if we gendered. just had like a little bit more neutral, mm-hmm. I think more and maybe this is just my bias because this is the side of the non-binary crew that I'm on. But if they're, if the pregnancy and postnatal systems, all of them, the classes, the babies, the, the, the I mean, the baby clothes, not the babies themselves. Of all this gender. <laughs> yeah. But the classes, the hospitals, the doctors, the, the everything, the names of the appointments, the names of the child care, the names mm-hmm. of everything. If all of it was a little bit like less mommy and me, I bet more non-binary people would be with me where they're like it's cool that my body can create life i'm interested in doing that someday my guess just my guess just your guess i mean and that's and obviously some people would still be dysphoric some people are like my body wasn't meant to be able to create life amazing 10 out of 10 i hope that you're able to do whatever that looks like for you however i just think some people would be more with me if it was less pink it was less pink it was less gendered across the board yeah yeah so for people like me who have transgressed, who have made mistakes in their language here, anybody can do it, even me, as lauded as I have been on this podcast for my lingual skills. How should we be referring to folks? I just call them people. The people who are affected by the abortion ban. There we go. 
I mean, and if you want to be more specific than that, because technically that is a pretty large field, including doctors, Mm -hmm. counselors, etc. But if you want people who need abortions, Mm -hmm. that's that's a pretty narrow field. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. You know, people who are having forced pregnancies. It's a pretty narrow field. Mm -hmm. Birthing parents, I know, feels really weird to a lot of people. So you don't have to use that. Um, I think that's kind of one of those ones that we're still trying to figure out whether or not it's something that we're going to try to call all people who are having babies, like currently Mm -hmm. pregnant, or if it's something we're going to call specific non-binary parents who want to be called that. I don't think it's really found a Mm -hmm. cultural niche yet. Yeah, Is AFAB not... I think AFAB can be fine, yeah, because that says, it's, I mean, it's basically... There's some nuance there, like you mentioned with hysterectomies, but... Yeah, there's some new, but AFAB I think would be okay. A little, I mean, is at least more gender neutral then. Right, it's at least more, and it's not even, it's just more specific. Like, that's what we're doing when we're removing this, like, cloud of gender nonsense, is, like, we're talking about the actual issue. Because, right. I mean, you can also just say people with uteruses in Texas, mm-hmm. right? That's... That'll cover it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about the national debate, just people with uteruses right. in America, maybe, if you really... Yeah. So I just, like, I think that just being more specific with your language, because, like, we've mentioned on several occasions, right? Women, quote-unquote, are not all affected equally by this. You don't have a uterus. Nope. You're a woman, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like women who have had hysterectomies. Yeah. So just... Being more specific, who are you talking about? Are you talking about people with uteruses? Are you talking about people with uteruses who already have fetuses in those uteruses? <laughs> like, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? <laughs> who are you talking about? Are they functional? Yeah. Like, like, are you talking about people with uteruses who might someday have fetuses in them? <laughs> are you talking about people with uteruses who currently have a fetus but do not want that fetus right now? <laughs> in this moment, very pressing issue. Yeah. Very time sensitive. <laughs> very time sensitive. Yeah, so, like, I mean, it's literally just a question. And that's the reason I'm like, journalists should already be doing this. That's what drives me insane. Mm -hmm. Like, journalists should already be doing this. They They should should already be... Being as specific as possible. Right. Because, like, it's important. This is not as cut and dry an issue in any metric. And even the metric that the United States seems to be convinced it is cut and dry in, it's not cut and dry. It's not. Like, it's just not. It's super not. Like, Mm. Yeah. Anything else you want to say to wrap up here? Anything in summary? Nah. All right, then. That's where we're going to wrap it up this week on Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Bye, y'all. And until next time, just keep thinking about it. Music for Gender Journeys composed by Sonia Berdash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash gender journeys. We hope to hear from you soon.